right, if you have your Bibles, let's go Exodus chapter 5. Uh, we'll start there, and I think we might end up, we're not might end up, I know we're going to end up uh, in Psalm 22. Uh, I said that as if I don't have notes and I didn't look ahead. Uh, we're going to start Exodus 5, and we're going to end uh, in Psalm 22. And then, uh, fair warning though, uh, you may be thinking in your head, uh, in the course of our time together, is he ever going to get to Psalm 22? I will. It'll be at the very end. Uh, and so uh, that's your indication if you need to sneak out. Psalm 22, pretty much all the good stuff is over with. So um, if you have, so we, we left off last week in a, a rather strange spot uh, because instinctively what we hope to see, uh, and I think we hope to see this in all areas of our lives, is a, is a quick and an easy ending to all of life's challenges, right? Is that fair to say that, that no one says, boy, I hope this difficult season of my life will just continue on into, you know, um, eternity? Uh, what we want is, like we said last week, is, is kind of the Brady Bunch ending. So, so at, at, at the end of 30 minutes, you say, all right, well, that wrapped itself up in a nice, neat little package, and, and now we can, we can move along. And, and I think we can convince ourselves... Uh, in times to to muster up the strength to deal with a hard season, uh, if we feel with any amount of certainty that the end of that season is closely coming, uh, it's almost like uh, at the end of a run, where uh, you take note that it's just another hundred meters as opposed to another ten miles. Right? Have you ever been able to convince yourself of of that? Like, okay, it's just it's just eight more steps. It's just five more reps. It's just uh, the end is really close as opposed to, oh my gosh, did we just start this thing? Uh, and, and I think our motivation toward the finish line gives us strength to endure just a little bit longer. And, and now, uh, like I said, we, we stopped at this really strange spot last week because uh, we briefly touched on God talking about a finish line, but, but that still did not seem as close as we would have perhaps prefer it to be uh, for the Israelites. Uh, now, now, if you remember, the Israelites are, are God's chosen people, and, and they went from the promised land to Egypt to escape uh, the devastating effects of, of a famine and that was happening all across the land. In fact, uh, before they went, God places Joseph in contact with Pharaoh, uh, and through his godly wisdom, he was able to administrate and to store up food so that Egypt doesn't just survive this time, it thrives in this time, and it provides uh, help for all the neighboring nations. And, and because of the gratitude of Egypt for Joseph, uh, his family as they arrived, the Israelites, uh, they were allowed the choicest land uh, to own and to care for as they grew and they multiplied uh, really for, for a few generations. And, and eventually, uh, a new Pharaoh, this is where we were last week, a new Pharaoh comes along who does not share the same feelings of gratitude uh, for Joseph and his family. And, and he becomes very fearful of the Israelites. And before long, his fear is expressed in the oppression of the Israelites, and very quickly, this land of refuge for them becomes a prison to them. And, 
And, and so, so generations come, and, and they only know the devastating effects of, of hard labor and, and slavery. And, and all along we get to see uh, that, that they are not hidden from God's view. Now for them, God seems absent, but he's not. Pharaoh seems to be in complete control, but he is not. And, and so, so, in fact, God has told Abraham, uh, really centuries before all this unfolds, that this would be the case. Uh, and he says, he says, as they go, he, I, he promises the Israelites his deliverance, and, and he promises his judgment, uh, and, and how they will leave, eventually they will leave Egypt with a great possession. And so, so what we find is, is the people of God crying out to God for deliverance, and the Word tells us how He was already aware, how He was already remembering His covenant, and how He was already on the move. But in this moment, as we were exploring last week, they, they don't know that. They don't see that. Uh, and so where we land today uh, is actually going to jump a few scenes in the developing story of the Israelites. And this is what we're going to try to do over these weeks, is we're going we're to try to approach the Exodus from the perspective of the Israelites. Uh, typically, when we talk about the Exodus, you'll, you'll talk about uh, the Israelites and you'll talk about Moses. And, uh, but we're just going to kind of take these weeks and we're going to say, what, as we caravan with the Israelites, uh, how do we get to put ourselves in their shoes and, and what can we learn from uh, the promises that God gives them in these weeks? Uh, and then for us, what's a better promise that we get in Jesus? And, and so, uh, so, like I said, we're, we're going to jump uh, a few scenes, uh, but I would, I would, we're, we ended in the closing verses of chapter 2. It says, it says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, that God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God knew. Now, now what happens next is, uh, is, is really some places I would encourage you to spend some time in this week. Uh, because uh, chapter 3 opens with God calling Moses into adventure through a burning bush. Uh, and essentially, God tells Moses uh, that, that he, Moses, will be the leader who brings the nation out of slavery. And, and God uh, even foreshadows Pharaoh's reluctance and how, how God will put... Uh, display his glory over Pharaoh. He'll say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, at some point, I'm gonna harden his heart, uh, and I'm gonna declare once and for all over all of Egypt who's in who's in charge here." Uh, and so, the first part of, of chapter four is uh, really this. This, <laughs> this is such a dumb way of explaining it, uh, but Rocky Four, right? So, so you know the training montage where he's he's working out, yeah, and like. Drago got, has, like, this awesome, like, factory where he's working out, but Rocky is, like, splitting wood and running up. Yeah, that's what you get uh, in chapter 4, okay? Uh, God is, is training Moses, Moses by giving him these powerful signs, and there's this really awesome 80s rock montage music going on behind it. Um, and it's getting you all worked up, right? Uh, and so, so then, then we transition in verse 18 of chapter 4, where Moses returns to Egypt, okay? Uh, and in verse 21, God tells Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, okay? That's important for us to understand, especially over these next two or three weeks. That God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart 
so that he will not let the people go. Okay, that's so very important for us to realize because God, everything that happens with Pharaoh is exactly what God says is going to happen. So, and I mention this because it's imperative because we understand that with every step the Israelites encounter from here to the promised land, there will not be a step that God has not accounted for. There will not be a step even down to the death of the firstborns. Okay? He tells them this is going to happen. And so, so let's pick it back up in, uh, in verse 29. We see Moses and Aaron gathered with all the elders of the people of Israel. And it says this in verse 30. It says, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people, what did they do? Believed. The people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, their response is simply this. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. And that's what we really wanted to see at the end of last week, right? We wanted to see that. That's the Brady Bunch ending that, yes, God is coming. God is going to rescue. They know that, and they're getting excited about that. And they bow their heads in worship. Now, where we are today in chapter 5 is, again, it's a really interesting place because, because it settles us between two spots of asking a really hard question. And that question being, which is, which is more painful? To, to live without hope or to catch a glimpse of hope only to feel that it disappeared? You with? So, so which is more painful, to live without hope or to catch a glimpse of hope only to feel that it has disappeared? Because these are the shoes we get to wear today with the Israelites. That, that, that often this is our experience when we're experiencing uh, redemption. Is that certainly God is not a, a fickle redeemer. He is faithful. Uh, but, but if we expect redemption to come mainly in regards to comfort, uh, we may be sorely disappointed, at least uh, for a season, when it brings more pain. And now, granted, uh, we, we may not be under the hardship of, of making bricks, as we're going to see in the Israelites' plight, but, but we can still identify with them in, in many ways. Pastor Mike Wilkerson, uh, he, he puts it this way. He says, perhaps... You've come to God with a life that was a mess with sin and were relieved to find that He accepts you in Christ just as you are. But in time, you probably were confronted with the reality that some of those sins from your former life still had power, a powerful hold on you. And, and some new Christians at this point are so discouraged they question whether or not they are saved at, at all. Or, or, or you may have found... Uh, that after years of harboring the pain of abuse in secret, that, that it's time to talk about it, and it's time to, to tell the truth to God and to others. And, and you may have to revisit some painful memories or, or confront someone who has harmed you. And, and the battle to decide to speak out is pain unto itself, intensifying the pain of the original abuse. Or maybe maybe you've made your secrets known and your confidants, rather than comforting and protecting you, have hurt you further by suggesting that you keep quiet or, or have even blamed you for stirring up trouble by digging up the past. 
you may have developed various means of dealing with what's been done to you. Self-protection, hypersensitivity, catastrophizing uh, to grab other people's attention, never trusting anyone or depending too much on their affirmation or getting even or or withholding yourself from others or or becoming the aggressor or self-medicating with any number of substances or pleasures. In short, you may have constructed a comprehensive manner of life for surviving apart from God. And now here's here's what I want you to know. That that in delivering you, God wants to show you that this manner of life, which maybe all you've actually known, is essentially death. That, that, That He wants you to walk away, but walking away from the only life you've ever known can feel like death. It can. And so you're not, you're not alone in that. Uh, and you don't have to try to deny that that, how that feels. And, and so all of this is very risky, that, that it may feel like it's getting worse before it gets better, but, but maybe the breaking of uh, your addiction began with a painful intervention by friends. Or, or perhaps you got uh, caught by a spouse, or, or perhaps you busted yourself, but you had no idea how painful it would be to walk in freedom. In freedom. And so, so this new pain compounds the pain you, you already uh, were feeling, and, and it brings with it more temptation. And that's, that's simple because, as we were talking in Hebrews, that, that the grip of sin does not loosen easily. Remember, it, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like an eagle on your shoulder and its talons dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and the chances are that, that your sin has been some form of refuge for you. So it provided some means of, of comfort. And so, so, but that comfort, guys, was merely bait on a hook and now you're being reeled in. You're being enslaved. And so, so in delivering us from sin, God breaks the chains of slavery and he beckons us to freedom. But faithful obedience, here's what we know, okay? And this, is, this should not come as a shock to you if you spend time in your word. That faithful obedience is very costly. It's very costly that he calls us to abandon everything that we have clung to in our sin and pulling out the hook of false comfort that it can be very painful that we've been bound in darkness and in redemption God calls us into light and so how can we be sure that we know what that picture of redemption should look like and this is where chapter 5 is a gift to us because it helps bring this into focus now remember Moses and Aaron they tell the elders hey God is bringing you out of slavery and they all celebrate and they all fall before God in worship and then this happens. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. Now, I believe this is like one of those moments they gather the elders and it's like a pep rally, right? And they come bounding out of those doors. Man, we got the Israelites behind us. Let's go to Pharaoh. Let's go. And they walk in and with all the boldness that they have, right? Like I imagine Moses just kicking the door in, right? And so Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. 
right? And then there's this moment where they say that with all courage that they have mustered. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh responds and it says, But Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord? Who's that guy? Who are you talking about? That I should obey his voice and I should let Israel go. I, I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Right? So after proclaiming good news of deliverance, Moses and Aaron, they, they took this message to Pharaoh. And, and don't miss the gravity of this confrontation. Because Pharaoh thinks he is the God of Egypt. He thinks he is divine in and of himself. And he thinks he is the master of the Hebrews. And so he decides when they work and when they rest. He decides when and what and whether they eat. And here comes Moses and Aaron making a demand of him in the name of the slave people's God, to which Pharaoh smirks, claiming, I don't even know that guy. I don't even know him. And not only does he refuse to release them, he decides to squeeze them tighter. Jump to verse 6. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, and he says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make for bricks as in the past. And all you brick people are like, right? Because you need straw for brick. No, no brick people in here? Gotcha. Alright, that's fine. You should no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go gather the straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God, let, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to, what does Pharaoh say? Lying words. Right? So, so Pharaoh, he fights back and he struck hard. And, and here is intent. It wasn't simply to get more productivity out of the Israelites. They weren't expected to make any more bricks than, than they were before. It was to strike fear in their hearts and to keep them busy so they would have no time and no energy to entertain ideas about deliverance. That's all he wanted to do. So Pharaoh increased their toil and he forces them to gather their, their own straw instead of providing it for them as they had been doing. Uh, and, so, so, and in so doing, he, he's brainwashing them to believe that the truths that Moses told them about their God were lies. That's what it is. He says, I want you to hear the voice. This is, this is what the enemy does in our lives. That he wants us to come in and he says, I want you to be so distracted by your circumstance. And I want you to be so weighed down by what is ever, whatever is pressing upon you that you be, become so focused on that that you try to ignore the truths about what God has said to you. Okay? And we just get to see this played out. So his purpose was to own them and to flaunt his power as the God of Egypt. And, and so, so what looks like, and here's what we need to know, what looks like a physical issue is really a matter of faith for the Israelites. 
Because in the hardness of this moment, will they believe in God's promises for them, or will they allow the circumstances to determine their devotion? So, in case you're wondering, this applies for us, too. That, that faith is about evidence. And, and if our primary evidence is that God is at work, uh, and it's based on our circumstances, then, then our faith is strained when we are blindsided at times by circumstances that fail to meet our expectations. Uh, that, that God's picture of redemption, guys, is not always the one we've imagined. And so, so the challenge becomes about weighing the evidence, that, that we weigh the evidence of, of God's character and His promises and His track record against the present circumstances that we face or, and our fears of what might happen. And, and so, so to hold our picture of redemption out to God and say, hey God, save me like this, doesn't require hardly any amount of faith. It doesn't. In fact, uh, uh, what requires faith is coming up and saying, God, I know you're good. Save me like you want to. Save me any way that you choose to. Uh, and so, so what happens here is we stand at a crossroads, and, and here's our dilemma. That God is unseen at times while the present circumstances seem to stare us in the face. And the fears that we feel are palpable. And that's the crossroads. The Israelites are dealing with it there. We deal with it today. And so, so when Moses and Aaron, when they confront Pharaoh, what was really happening here was a clash of gods. Now, one of those gods have a big G, and the other god has a little g. And, and so, so Pharaoh was trying to go toe-to-toe with the god of Israel, vying for the allegiance of the people. That's what it is. And so, so, so we typically don't see cosmic war waged in, in unseen realms, and, and we're often inattentive at times to the war that rages in our own hearts. But, but when we take one step forward from the crossroads of this dilemma, we, we act in faith uh, that, that one of these gods will save us. One of them, that's what we believe. One of these gods are going to save us, and the act of faith is our pledge of allegiance. And so, so we either place our faith in the God who threatens to make us more miserable but offers temporary living, livable slave conditions, or we place our faith in the true God who has promised us freedom for life. That's, those are the two choices. And, and so when, when Pharaoh withheld straw for the, from the, for the bricks what had already been ruthless labor for the Israelites became even more unbearable. Uh, and this stretched their, their, their seedling faith to the point of snapping, and they were driven to despair. And at first, uh, they had believed, and, and when they saw the signs of Moses and Aaron, and uh, a flicker of hope was rekindled in their hearts. But, but Pharaoh, very quickly, I want you to see how very quickly Pharaoh snuffs that out. Uh, and, and so all they could see now were the inevitable beatings that came as motivation to fill their quota. And so what they do is they run back to their oppressor. They, they run back to their abuser. And in this moment, Pharaoh's plan is working. 
They weren't thinking at all about deliverance anymore. They, they were preoccupied with mere survival, and their foreman cried out to, to Pharaoh for mercy, and, and Pharaoh refuses to let up. Uh, and so they turn, and they cried out bitterly against Moses and Aaron, and they blamed them for the worsening of, of their conditions. Let's go uh, chapter 5, verse 20. Uh, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the eye of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Like, guys, what in the world were you thinking? And now remember, and you'll see, you'll see this with the Israelites as, as we walk with them. They are constantly coming back saying, Man, why are you trying to improve our lives? At least it wasn't as bad when we were slaves. And they have forgotten the fact that being a slave lives without any freedom. And I would believe that one just breath of freedom would be greater than a lifetime of slavery. And so, so, so behind their resentment of, of Moses and Aaron was their ultimate resentment for God for bringing them uh, these, these worse troubles. And so, so when faced with the dilemma of either trusting God for their freedom or seeking relief by appeasing Pharaoh, they chose Pharaoh. Because what we would like to see because we would, I, I would like this for us. Let's say we are in a difficult circumstance. That we would be like, like the church of the first century. Uh, that when life gets hard, they don't pray for God to remove the hardness. They pray for the boldness to stand in the face of it. But what they do is not that, right? What they do is they start to, to whine and they start to, to break down. And, and they hoped uh, merely to not be a stink in the sight of the Egyptians. And so... Uh, that, that some of their suffering might be uh, alleviated. And, and, and now, again, had they forgotten how ruthless slavery had driven them to despair and to cry out to God in the first place? What normal slavery was it that they hoped to settle back into? And I think the fact is that, that there was and never really could have been any peaceful coexistence available to them in Egypt. That passed. Once you had a Pharaoh who said, I, I don't honor what Joseph and the Israelites have done, there was never going to be a peaceful coexistence. And, and that, that was not ultimately because Moses had made matters worse, but because Pharaoh's heart was evil and he was stubborn and he wanted evil for them and he wanted glory for himself, And yet, in the minds of the Israelites, it was as if God had brought evil upon them and Pharaoh was the one who could return some good by way of relief. And even the good of the bad is still bad. And so, so how clouded our perspectives become when the circumstances are, are painful. In fact, even Moses staggered, right? This is what happens. They come to Moses and they say, what are you doing? And he staggers in this moment. And it says in verse 22, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Oh man, how is God going to respond 
to this. Now being, this is a child speaking to a parent. You ever have your kid pull up their big boy or big girl britches and you need to remind them, hey, you actually don't own me in this moment. At least that's how I would like to respond. So, so shaken as he was, Moses directs his plea, at least to the right master. The only one, the one and only God who can save his people, of course. God was not surprised by any of this. He had foreseen it, and he had even told Moses at the burning bush that Pharaoh would not initially let his people go. Pharaoh's hardening heart had not thwarted God's plans in the least. And so, so chapter 6 starts off like this. But the Lord said to Moses, and man, I, I don't know how it went, but I, I think as I try to play this out in the movie of my mind, that there's this, this really honest and awkward silence as Moses says, uh, you know, you have not delivered your people at all. And God cracks a smile and looks at him. And he says, and if you like to underline your Bible, this is a huge word. Now. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now. Now you will see. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. The land in which they lived as sojourners. Uh, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from the slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. Of Israel. But watch what happens. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit. And their harsh slavery. And so we get to end there on a really sad part again, right? <laughs> but but there, here, here, hear me. Their reaction to what God has just told them does not change the fact that God is sovereign in this moment. Not at all. It does not change His, his promises. It does not change the movement. And here's what I love about this. God doesn't come in and say, Ah, yeah, about that. I'm really sorry. Guys, I'm I'm sorry it's tough today. He doesn't. Nor should he have to. Now, someone may need to tell me that 
at some point in my near future when I'm whining about what God does and how slow he moves. But he doesn't apologize. Because his plan hasn't been thwarted at all. In fact, what does he tell them? Nothing new. There's nothing new. He reminds them of the promises that he's already given them. So, so he assures them that, that with the same words he had spoken to them at first, that, that his message had not changed. He is faithful to his word even when his people are faithless. And that applies to the Israelites and that applies to this room. He would deliver them. And I, I, man, I love these moments when he comes in and he's like, let me tell you who I am. I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God because I am the Lord. And Moses carries those hopeful words back to the people. But in this moment, they don't get it. They don't. They don't because the circumstances of their lives are distracting them from the promises of God. So we start start wrapping this up, Sam. So 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 they cry out to God, and in that crying out, they cry out in, in what we call faith. Right? They they acknowledge that hey we we can't get out of the slavery. We need God to intervene. We need Him to bring us out. And crying out in faith, I, I, I think, means being brutally honest with God about your suffering while at the same time trusting Him. Right? And that's, those are the parts of our lives where we want to hide from God. We don't, we don't want to tell Him how hard it really is as if He doesn't know. And so crying out in faith means being brutally honest about your suffering while still trusting him that moses gives us a hint of this but 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 again we're going to try to do this every week we're going to come in and we'll say what's the better promise we get in jesus and so so moses gives us a hint of how this plays out but jesus's cry from the cross was filled with a far greater pain and and it required far more faith than the slavery the the israelites are facing in fact the the cry of faith as strange as it's going to sound the cry of faith that, that Jesus gives us on the cross is simply this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now, again, at first glance, that might not sound like a, a faith-filled cry at all. But, but when you realize the gift that Jesus gives us on the cross in those words, it's, it's, it takes us back to Psalm 22. And this is, this is how we're playing that out. That on the cross, I told you we're going to get there, right? We're almost done. Sit tight. So, so the psalm opens with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh God, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Have you ever been there? Or are you there? My God, my God, where in the world are you? And 
And then verse 3 happens. And I think this takes us into what Jesus is saying on the cross. I really do. Yet you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. You deliver them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And so, so we have the Israelites, and they're, they're under this oppression. They're under this slavery, and things are getting hard. And, and what I'm telling you is they didn't know Psalm 22, but you do. You do. They were living this moment out in real time. And so I think, as I said last week, there's nobody I'm more most frustrated by in the Bible than them, but I'm also most exposed by them. And so, so, so the Israelites, as they live this out in real time, we have the benefit of the cross, and then we have the benefit of the Word to show us a different way of reacting. And so maybe we can cut them some slack in this moment, except to say, hey, you can trust in God's goodness. You can trust in His promises. Sit, sit tight. Lean into Him. Because these verses in Psalm 22 give us an alternative from wallowing in the pain of our circumstances and in the pain of our suffering. Because our alternative is A, identifying our pain, but then B, leaning on the goodness of God, reminding ourselves of His promises. truth is that that because Jesus faced the worst in faith, you and I will never have to that extreme. We won't. In fact, you can cling to the same promises. We can face seeming or certain death emotionally, spiritually, and even physically knowing that we will not be put to shame. One way or the other, God will deliver. Always. And so our promise comes to us from these verses, with the prom- our promise that comes to us from these verses is that difficult seasons are not indications that God has decided not to deliver you. It's not. Just because it gets harder is not an indication that God refuses to deliver you. They are, in fact, opportunities to open our hearts more towards Him and to realize that the battle for our allegiance is raging on. It is. And so when, when God says, now I will, here's what I want you to know. Those words came at the exact moment when he planned on saying them. And so, so really, are we willing to submit and trust in his greater promises of deliverance? Or do we want to settle for a life of slavery? Because here's the thing. Pharaoh was never going to give them freedom. He wasn't. He wasn't going to come in. He was never going to say, hey guys, about that whole slavery thing. Sorry. Um, let's, let's stop doing that. Never. For the rest of their lives, they were going to be slaves in Egypt. For the rest of their kids' lives, slaves in Egypt. Their kids' kids. All the way through. 
that God is delivering them. So who do we want to trust? And so I love you guys. Uh, this, this week, our desire is to love God by. All right. Let me pray for us. And let me say this. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to give you that opportunity to respond to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your care, and we thank you that, that you, you know us, you are aware of us. And so, Father, what we pray in the midst of uh, uh, maybe a troubling season, uh, that we would know of your nearness and we would lean into your promises. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.